Amen. All right. We are in the last installment of this sermon series called Teach Us to Pray, where we have been exploring the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father line by line uh, for the last six weeks. And today we're going to end on the final line of the Lord's Prayer. So before we dive into this sermon today, let's take a moment and let's each individually still our own hearts and prepare our hearts and minds to receive the Word of God. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We're grateful for you. We're grateful for your word. We're grateful for your spirit. We're grateful for your kindness and your mercy. We're grateful that you are a provider. We're grateful that you are a forgiver. We're grateful, Lord God, that you have all power and authority in your hands. And we turn to you today, and we just ask that you would be with us. Be with me as I, as I attempt in my own feeble way to preach your word in a way that would be fruitful and useful and transformative in the lives of those who are hearing. Um, be with all of us today. Uh, strengthen all of us, Lord God, to receive from you and to experience you and to celebrate you and worship you today. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right, so the last line in the verse is verse 13. The last line in the prayer says, For yours is the kingdom. Somebody say kingdom. And yours is the power. Somebody say power. And yours is the glory, somebody say glory, forever, amen. That's the last line in the prayer. So today, I want to preach for just a few moments on the subject, remember who you're praying to. Remember who you are praying to. Years ago, in one of my very first cases that I got to litigate as a young attorney, I was in a courtroom in front of a judge with opposing counsel at the other side of the courtroom, and there was this heated exchange between the opposing counsel and the judge sitting at the bench. And I'll never forget this exchange because at one point, the opposing counsel got so worked up while arguing with the judge that the opposing counsel said to the judge, Judge, your argument is invalid. <laughs> Judge, your argument does not have merit, and here's why. And the opposing counsel began to tell the judge why the judge's argument lacked merit. Secretly, I was rejoicing over on my side of the courtroom. And I'll never forget what the judge said. Because the, because the lawyer said your argument lacks merit. The judge says, I don't have an argument. The judge said, I'm not here to give an argument. I'm here to give an order. The judge says, it is your job to argue convincingly to me so that I will rule in your favor. You have the argument. You are an attorney. I'm giving an order. I'm the judge. And right about that time, I was like, yeah, we're going to win this case. We are going to win this case. But what happened is that in the heat of the moment, opposing counsel forgot who they were talking to. They started treating the judge as if the judge was an opposing counsel. They started treating the judge as if the judge was a friend that they could just banter with and argue with. They didn't realize that the judge is not their friend, not their colleague, not their pal, not their, not their buddy. The judge has the, the power and authority to rule in the case and to, uh, and to make a demand or an edict or whatever, whatever comes down from the judge that's going to affect, in fact, it's going to dictate the outcome of the case. A lot of times when we pray, I believe... We forget who we're praying to. Sometimes we pray and we treat God as if he's just a friend. 
as if he's just a sort of figurehead, as if he's just some kind of an idea out there. And so we mumble and stumble through our prayers, and we forget that the person to whom we are praying has all power and authority in heaven and earth to issue edicts and rules that will dictate the outcome of our life. And so what Jesus is doing when he ends the prayer like this When he says, to thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. He's not telling God something that God doesn't know. God knows he has the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Jesus is saying this to yours is to you is the kingdom in order to remind himself of God's authority. He's saying to you is the power to remind himself of God's strength and God's ability. He's saying, to you be all glory to remind himself of God's greatness and beauty and majesty and grandeur. So when we use these words, when we say, your honor, or we say to, uh, to a military uh, person, general this, or his majesty or her majesty, right? What we're doing when we use this ter- these terms, we're not telling the person who they are. We're reminding ourselves of the dynamic of the relationship between us and them. We're reminding ourselves who they are because they already know, right? So this is why the prayer ends this way because when you say, hallowed be thy name, right? Why hallowed be thy name? Because his is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If I say, give me this, give us this day our daily bread, how can I pray that? Because his is the power and the glory and the, and the, and the kingdom forever. When I pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, Why? Because yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So what this last line of this prayer does is it reminds us who we're praying to. It reminds us that the one to whom we are praying holds all power and all authority. He is a friend, but he's not just a friend. He is closer than a brother, but he's not just a brother. He is the king of the universe, and we bow in obeisance and obedience to him. So let's break this down. One bit by bit. You know how I like to do. Just get in each word, okay? So the first part is, is the first part of verse 13 says, for yours is the kingdom. Somebody say kingdom. What does that mean? That means we submit to your authority. We submit to your authority. Give them that slide. We submit to your authority. Did you know that submission is actually a source of strength? Conscious Submission to righteous authority is a source of strength. And I'll tell you how I mean, what I mean by that. Does, does anybody here have a driver's license? Anybody got a driver's license? Yeah, a couple of you guys have a driver's license. Hopefully most of you do, except for the young folks, right? When you go to take your driver's license test, what you are doing is you are submitting to the laws, the traffic laws the, uh, of the state in which you got your driver's license. You're saying, okay, I agree that I'm going to submit to the laws. I'm going to learn the laws. I'm going to take a test where I tell you that I learned the laws. And then I'm going to go show you that I've learned the laws by driving around with one of your representatives. And I'm going to show you that I submit to the laws of this state with respect to driving. So when you have a driver's license, that is a, first of all, it's an act of submission for you to get this. But once you have submitted to the law... Now you have the rights and privileges of a driver in the state in which you were licensed. In fact, in our country, every, every state, as long as you have a valid driver's license in one state, right? But the submission became the source of your rights and privileges. 
And let me tell you what I mean by the counter example. If you refuse to submit to the laws of the state and you do not get a driver's license and you go out on the road and try to exercise the rights and privileges of a driver without having submitted to the laws of the state, you will find yourself being submitted by the state. Is anybody with me this morning? Anybody remember that show, Cops? It never works out for somebody who did not submit themselves to the laws of the state and drove without a valid driver's license, as I recall that show. So what happens is submission is actually the source of your strength. I'll give you another example. If any of you have a job, wherever, wherever you work, part of your job is to submit to the practices of that, that job. But when you do and you say, okay, I'm going to be a part of this job. I'm going to be part of this organization, right? Now you get uh, a key to the building. You might get a credit card to be able to, a, a company credit card. Depends on your status. You might get a car. You might, you get all of the rights and privileges. You can come and go to that office. You get all the rights and the privileges to that job by submitting to the authority of that job. And when you say, I'm no longer submitting to the authority of that job, your key goes away, your card goes away, your car goes away, it all goes away, right? So submission, conscious submission, is an act of strength, especially when we submit to good authority. When we submit to God, when we say, God, yours is the kingdom, what we're saying is, mine is not the kingdom. Here's the problem that a lot of us have. We have been burned by submitting to bad authority, and so our response is to submit to no authority. But by submitting to no authority, we have inherently submitted to our own authority. And anybody who knows your own heart knows that your own heart is capable of doing very evil, mean, and nasty things. But you have submitted yourself to your own authority. So you've gone from bad authority to worse authority, right? When we submit to God's authority, then we, ha we have the power that God instills in us. He says when you submit to his authority, then you get imbued with his power. That's how that works, right? I put my faith in you. I put my trust. I put my belief in you. His Holy Spirit comes and fills us with power when we submit to his authority. So one thing that I think we just as a church family and as Christians need to learn is that submitting to the antidote to, sub, to, to getting burned by bad authority is not no authority. It's submitting to good authority. It's coming to God and saying, God, I want to submit to your authority. The Apostle Paul called this out because there were uh, religious leaders in his day that exercised authority and exercised it unfaithfully. And I love what he says. He says this in Romans chapter 3. He says, what if some were unfaithful? Talking about spiritual leaders. Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? He said, not at all. Let God be true and every human being a liar. In other words, what he's saying is, even when people fail you, that doesn't mean to not put your trust in anything. That means further double down on putting your trust in God. Putting your trust in God and saying, God, we submit to your authority. When we submit to the authority of other things, we often find that the thing to which we submitted is more detrimental to us than, than the power or this authority to which we originally submitted. And so God is saying, look, what I want you to do is I want you to submit to me because mine is the kingdom and I want you to be a part of it. When we submit to his authority, we become ambassadors in his kingdom. We, we get a license. He says, look, I'm giving you a license to spread my love and my power and my strength and my joy on earth because you've submitted to my authority. But a lot of times we submit to the authority of our own fear. We submit to the, the authority of our own addictions.
We submit to the authority of our own negative thoughts. We submit to the authority of the pressure of our friends. We submit to the authority of the pressure of the culture around us. So it's not that we're not going to submit to authority. We are submitting authority to authority. It's just whose authority are you submitting to? We say thine is the kingdom because we want God to know and we want to remind ourselves that we submit to his authority. All right. Second part of the verse says this. For yours is the power. For yours is the kingdom. For yours is the power. What does this mean? This means we trust your ability. So we've submitted to your authority, but when I say yours is the power, now I'm saying I also trust your ability. You have the power. My family and I, uh, a few weeks ago, we, we rode the metro. Uh, we took our bicycles and rode the metro downtown, and then, uh, and then we jumped off the metro and rode our bikes around downtown, the boys and I. And it was really, it was really, it was really interesting because we're on the metro, and there was a security guard on the metro that had a badge. And I respected his authority, but I questioned his ability. <laughs> Have you ever seen the, sec- the security guard that you walk into a place and the sec- you go to the, sec- you look at the security guard and you go, really? I mean, <laughs> nothing wrong with the person, but I don't know how secure you feel. This guy, I'm not saying he was old. I'm just saying that I feel like he probably had a pet dinosaur at one point in his life. Sweet guy. I'm not saying he was weak. I'm just saying if my six-year-old daughter decided to, you know, head and arm throw him over her hip, I think she would have been able to do it. Nice guy. And if push came to shove and something bad happened in the metro, I would say, hey, man, I trust your authority. I'm not sure I trust your ability. Right? Right? I feel like I would have needed to intervene. And there, I would have been looking for other people to intervene. I'd have been like, we all love this guy, but we would all need to work together towards, <laughs> towards addressing the situation, right? Because we respected his authority. We would submit to his authority, but we didn't trust his ability. A lot of times we treat God like he is an old security guard on the metro train of our life. We go, no, 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 I know you're God. But I think I need to step in and take care of this situation. I, I know you're God and I'll come and I'll pray and I'll pay tithes and I'll sing and I'll do. But I need to be in charge of my life because I'm not sure I trust your ability, God, because I, I can't see you. I can't hear you and I'll pray to you. But at the end of the day, I need to step in and intervene. I, I can just tell you on a personal level that has characterized so much of my life that it's embarrassing as a pastor. There have been so many times in my life. And it's come to light more and more uh, when, I, when, I, when we planted the church. But there have just been so many times where I'm like, God, I love you. Of course I love you. I, I, you know, I belong to you. But thank you. But I need to go handle some business right now. I need to go straighten this situation out. Right? And every time I am reminded that God is not weak. And God is not powerless. And in fact, God has a better idea about the way the outcome of the situation should be than I do. And when I trust him and step back and let him work, he works it out better than I can. Why? Because I'm going to trust his ability. When Jesus says, thine is the power, the word that he uses is the word dunamis. I've talked about this word before. Dunamis. It's a Greek word. It's the word from which we derive the word dynamite. Dunamis, right? Dunamis. It means power. And not just 
you know, wobbly power. Power, like dynamite power, like strong power. When Jesus says, for thine is the power, what he's saying is, I want you to remember that this is the power that, 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 that parted the Red Sea and let the Israelites come through. This is, this is the power that brought down fire from heaven and consumed the, the false prophets. This is the power that raised Jesus from the dead. This is the power that healed blind eyes. This is the power that, that, that healed broken limbs. This is the power of God. This is the dunamis of God. And when we say thine is the power, we're saying that's your power. And I'm going to trust your power. I'm going to actually, I'm going to step back and let my, I, it turns out I'm the old man on the train. Right? And you, God, are in power. You are in charge because I'm weak and you are strong. But when I'm weak and I submit and respect your power, then your strength fills me. And then I get to live out of your strength, not mine. Right? So when we say, God, yours is the power, we're saying, I not only respect your authority, but I trust your ability. When we put our, our, our trust in our own ability or in the abilities of other things, we often find, and we, we always find actually, and we quickly find that we lack the power to accomplish the things that we truly need to accomplish. It, it turns out that, that as much as we huff and puff, as big as we make ourselves, we are weak and powerless. We are limited in our own capacity and our own ability. I was watching that little scene uh, uh, the other day with my, with my daughter, Eden, uh, from The Wizard of Oz. Do you remember The Wizard of Oz? And finally, Dorothy gets to Oz. And the tin man is there, and the leopard, and the, I mean the leopard, the lion, and the, I don't think there was a leopard. There might be, no. And there was a straw man, and all of that. And they come, and they're, and they're standing before Almighty Oz. And they're begging to be sent back to Kansas, right? And Oz is like, well, I'll have to consider this. And there's lightning, and there's thunder, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And while they're trembling in fear, Toto, the dog, remember Toto? Toto goes and grabs a hold of the, of the curtain and pulls this curtain aside. And there's this weak old man behind the buttons and the levers. And he's pretending to have authority. He had authority. He just didn't have ability. Because they pulled back the curtain and realized, oh, there's nothing here. When we put our trust in ourselves, when we put our trust in our own in our own fears or in our own power or in our own ability or in our own thoughts, it doesn't take long for the curtain to get pulled back and go, you know, there's, a lot of, there's not a lot of ability here. There's not a lot of power to address the big matters that need to be addressed. But when we put our trust in God, he has all power on heaven and on earth. Let God be the source of your power. And then this is the last one. He says, for yours is the glory. This is the hardest one for me to imagine and the hardest one for me to really articulate. I know it. I feel it. I've seen it. It's just hard to express it because there are very few things in life that make us be filled with awe and wonder. There are just aren't that many things in life that make us go, that's amazing, right? Every once in a while, there's something, but we've kind of seen it all. You know, we've seen all the lights and all the bells and all the way. We've seen it all. So we go, yeah, yeah, ho-hum, right? But understanding and experiencing, having a revelation of God's glory, of the true depth and majesty of his brilliance will transform your life. It will change you fundamentally. And here's, here's a picture of what happens in the Bible. 
There's a, in, in the, the book of Exodus, Moses is going before the Lord. And we read all about the, 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 the God, uh, Moses going up on the mountain and experiencing God and God bringing down the place. And if you read, start in Exodus like 19 or so and kind of read through. And you see this like, you know, smoke rising up like a stovetop. You see fire coming down. There's thunder. People are trembling. It's powerful, right? And what happens is Moses is up on the mountain experiencing God's glory firsthand. And it's amazing the, 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 the description of what happens when he comes down from the mountain. In Exodus 34, 19, it says this. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. His face, if you go on to read, it's amazing because his face was so radiant from having experienced the glory of God, that he had to wear a veil over his face when he spoke to people because the radiant brilliance of his face was blinding. And then he would put the veil over his face and talk to people, and then he would go back up the mountain and and take the veil off so that he could experience the glory of God. When we experience the glory of God, when we say for yours is the glory, what we're really saying is we revere your greatness. We revere... Your greatness. We revere your great. We submit to your authority. We trust. We trust your power. We trust your ability. But yours is the glory means we just, we stand in awe of who it is to whom we're actually speaking. We stand in awe of you. Another great example in the scripture is when um, Saul, before, before he became a Christian, is on the road to Damascus. And he's on the road, and he's on his way to persecute Christians. And suddenly a blinding light comes out of of the heavens and begins to address Paul, Saul, Paul. And the scripture says this when he describes it in Acts 22. He says, my companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. In other words, experiencing that that glory of God Having those moments in your life where you actually experience the sheer grandeur, beauty, and majesty of God does something to you. It it radiates you. It changes the way you see things. It has a massive impact on you because suddenly you are not your own God. You suddenly begin to realize that there is a great and mighty, almighty, all-powerful God to whom you owe every speck of your existence every day, every breath. And when you begin to experience that for real, it changes you. It transforms you. The scripture actually says uh, in in 2 Corinthians, the apostle Paul says that this glory is for us to experience. Here's how he puts it. He says, for God, who said, "Let let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts. Made his light shine in our hearts. To give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. He's saying, look, I want you, church, I want you to know to whom you are praying. I want you to remember who you're praying to. I want you to know that the one to whom you are praying has all power and all authority and all glory in heaven and earth. And I really want you to get that because when you get that, you will not be like the opposing counsel forgetting who you're talking to. You will be like 
like a humble child of God saying, God, your, your kingdom is mighty and I submit to you. Your ability and your power is great and I trust you. And God, your glory shines so brightly that I want it to shine on me and shine in me so that it can reflect off of me to everybody I meet. I want them to experience who you are through me. I want to be a reflection of your glory. The last line in that verse, verse 7 says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. You know who jars of clay are? You and me. We're the jars of clay. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. I'm going to close with this, Olu. My prayer throughout this whole series has been every person praying every day. Every person praying every day. But my concern is that if we make prayer a part of our checklist, that pretty soon it will become rote. It will be something that you do. All right? Check it from the box. Said my prayers, got my coffee, combed my hair, got in the car, went. To, it's just one of many tasks that you got to do throughout your day. But God, God is saying to us, look, I want you to know, I want you to remember who you're praying to. I want you to have these moments in your life where you're actually experiencing the power and the authority and the glory of God for real. You, not just Moses on the mountaintop, you, not just Paul on the road to Damascus, you. God is saying to us, I want you to experience that. And, and, and I love the way this, the, the, the scripture ends, the sermon ends, the, the prayer ends. It says, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. And then he tells us how long? Forever. Forever. Amen. He says, listen, just stop and recognize. Church, this is so important because I feel like this is the most... This is, this is so much more transforming than spiritual disciplines. It is so much more transforming than trying to live out a righteous life. Stopping and recognizing who God is. Recognizing who He is to you. Recognizing who you are to Him. You are His beloved child in whom He is well pleased. He longs to have a deep, meaningful, real, authentic relationship with you. And the only way that you get that is by connecting with Him. One thing I say about prayer over and over, and I'll say it till the day I die, is when the, when the scriptures talk about prayer, the word that is used for prayer is a mutual exchange of wishes. Prayer is not a monologue. Prayer is a dialogue. Prayer is between you and the creator of the universe. And when you stop and just say, God, I need this, I want this, help me with this, and and help grandma with this, and fix that, and get my new, my new, get me a new car, and help, you know, and then you walk away from prayer, you haven't even, you've done 10% of the praying because that's just you talking. The 90% of the praying is you stopping and listening what God has to say to you about what you just said to him, right? Because his is the power and his is the kingdom and his is the glory. So if it's just you talking, right, you don't have any power, kingdom or authority or, or glory except that which you derive from him. And so when Jesus is teaching us to pray like this, he's saying, look, I want you to pray like this. But before you get up from your knees, remember who you're praying to. For thine is the kingdom. Thine is the power. Thine is the glory. I want to end this sermon series today by having you all stand at both campuses. Everybody standing.
at both campuses. And if you would, take the person next to you by the hand or put your hand on their shoulder. Somehow connect with them. And let's do this together because this prayer is not not an individual prayer. It's always us and we. And what I want us to do church-wide as a church family today is I'm going to say a line and then you repeat the line. Okay? I'll say a line, then you repeat the line. And we're going to pray this prayer together. And my prayer is that this becomes so deeply a part of your life that, that, that the meaning, not the, not the memory, the meaning of this prayer, not the memorization, the meaning of this prayer will, will sink so deep in your hearts that it just becomes something that you pray all the time. You just, became a, you just become a person of prayer who just has prayer pouring out of you all the time. You pray without ceasing. Prayer is your breath. Your breathing prayer. That's what, that's what I want to encourage us to do. So let's bow our heads together. And I'll say a line, then you say a line, okay? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom. Thine is the kingdom. Thine is the kingdom. Thine is the the power. Thine is the power. Thine is the power. Thine is the glory. Thine is the glory. Thine is the glory. Forever and ever. Amen. 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 Amen, somebody. Praise God. Praise God. We had a wonderful meeting with the prayer team um, last yesterday, last yesterday, (laughs) last yesterday we did, 24 hours ago actually, and one of the things that we collectively prayed about is just creating a permeating culture of prayer throughout one family church, private prayer where each and every one of us is praying alone, spending time with God in the secret place. Um, public prayer, where we are praying collectively together as a family. And then people prayer, where we are praying for one another. And we're praying for the challenges and issues and hurts and heartaches of one another. I want our church to just be a place where prayer is the first response. (laughs) It's not a Hail Mary at the end. It's like, well, let's pray first. Let's just, let's get in there right now. Let's pray right now. Uh, that's what I want for, for our church, just to remember that all power, all kingdom, all glory belong to him. All right, I already preached that. Amen. Let's close. Um, I want to invite you to worship in a few different ways. If you do need prayer, I would encourage you to take uh, a prayer request card or connection card out of the seat back in front of you and put it in the basket on the way out. Um, as you may have noticed, uh, there is no prayer room um, in, 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 the, in the Tivoli as you came walking in. There were some 
metal studs. And so we're, we're in the middle of an amazing renovation. Um, if you do need prayer, though, some of our prayer team members will actually be on the couch, like over by the couches as you go out to the right. Um, there won't be a lot of privacy there, but if you need prayer, um, we'll have some folks there available to pray for you. Uh, if you want to be a part of advancing the mission through your generosity, through your giving, we invite you to go home this afternoon, jump online, onefamilychurch.com slash give, and uh, sign up for, uh, for your giving to support the work of the ministry of One Family Church, spreading the gospel throughout the city uh, and beyond. If you are not a, a member or this is not your church home or you're just a guest, please don't feel any obligation to do that. This is just something that we do as part of our worship to God through this church family. Um, and then we do have some communion available on the way out, and you can take that and go over to the couch and pray um, with some members of our prayer team. But as we close, let's open our hearts and let's tell our problems about, about the power of God one more time in praise and worship. Amen. Amen.